Hello, everybody. Whoa, that sounds loud. That, that's my, is that too loud? What? May the, oh, uh, yeah, I think it's okay. May the fourth be with you. I tried to think of a Star Wars opener slash hook, and the force wasn't with me. I came up empty. Of course, it had to relate to the message. But I did think of um, a book that I just finished on tape, but one that I'd read before. Uh, that Keith, you just read a little bit ago, um, called The Long Walk. Uh, the Long Walk is about, it's out there in the foyer if you want to pick it up. It's an awesome read. True story about a group of seven guys who escaped a, a Russian prison camp in Siberia in 1941 uh, and hoofed it. They walked. And they got out, they, they got a little help, and they walked uh, 4,000 miles uh, through Siberia. They walked due south. The, the destination was India. Uh, they walked across the Gobi Desert. Few have ever done that and survived. And uh, then they climbed over the Himalayas. Uh, two of them died on the way, just to ruin the story for you. But uh, the main character, the guy who... Uh, uh, wrote the book, writes about how when they finally got to India and they were picked up and they were safe. Um, and he, uh, it's an amazing thing. You know, they're, they're so elated that they're actually healthy-ish when they get rescued. And they're told by the doctors that you're going to, it's going to take a while in the hospital before you're back to normal. And they're all like, what are you talking about? We feel fine. And then once the emotion wears off, uh, they got really sick, almost died. and But they recovered, and as he's recovering, when they bring food to the, this guy, he hides some under his mattress, under the pillow. And they, they keep seeing this. And the, the, the staff at the hospital, he's in, in Calcutta in India, and the staff is telling him, look, mister, I can't remember his name, they called him Slav in the book, he's Polish, they said, look, you don't, there is plenty of bread. There is plenty of food. You don't need to hide it. But he couldn't stop doing it. And that's because, and he describes it in the book, it's a prisoner mentality. I read about it a bit in, in uh, you know, if you were going to survive a place like Auschwitz during the Holocaust, you needed to do that. If you just tried to survive on the rations the Nazis gave you, you were a dead man, uh, man or woman. And... So he couldn't stop hoarding, and uh, it took a while for him to get over it. I wonder if he ever really did. Prison mentality. So how does this relate to us? Well, we're talking about thankfulness today, and we're going to see that in thankfulness, just like with joy, we have to give everything over to God. If we're going to be truly thankful, and I, as the passage says, in everything, and if we're going to be truly joyful which is in all, at all times, always thankful, always joyful. We have to. If we're going to accomplish this, we have to give everything over to God. And that means that we can't hoard anything. Now, few of us will ever hoard like our Slav did in that, in that time. Um, and, but there are levels to hoarding. For instance, and this is you know, not for me to know, how much do you need in your savings account for you to feel secure? Well, when I was 17 years old, if I had 100 bucks in my savings account, I was the richest man on earth. If we had 100 bucks now, you'd be like, yeesh, am I going to survive? Am I going to be able to pay my bills and so on? I'm not saying anything, however, ever from this pulpit either today or at any time about amounts. Amounts of money is not the issue here. Not at all. It is our attitude. That's what God is getting at. And God is, this is so we're like him, so that we're always happy and always thankful. Meaning we live the best life. God is trying to free us from the things that are putting us in slavery to earthly things, to the flesh, to fears. He's trying to bleed that out of us 
and give us the mindset that is His mindset. And Jesus had the same thing. Now, we can't, we can't be like Jesus. You know, Jesus, uh, the ta- you, you know the story in the Gospels where the tax guy comes to the house and he's like, do you pay the tax? And Jesus says, of course we pay the tax. Jesus, go down to the, go down to the lake and throw a hook in the water and grab a fish. There'll be money in there. And he did. And there was. And he paid the poll tax. They're like, well... You know, tell your bank, whoever holds your mortgage, okay, I'm going to go down to the lake and throw a hook in the water. I'll be back this afternoon. Uh, you know, but what was he stating there is attitude. It's not about amount. It's about attitude. It's not about being uh, hoarding. God has set us free. He doesn't want us in a prison. Hoarding is a prison mentality, which is exemplified by those who actually still for years hoarded bread and food and uh, and so that's what we're going to see today, that uh, thankfulness comes from an attitude that gives all security, all desire, all desire for fulfillment, all desire for uh, happiness and pleasure. God doesn't remove that stuff. He just changes the source. So we're going to start at our usual passage in First Thessalonians 5. And let's begin with prayer. Let's thank God for his word. Thank him for the fact that he uh, tells us in his word what is, you know, he's a straight shooter with us. He, he does not uh, vary or water down the very uh, object of what we must do, even though for all of us there's aspects to this that are very hard. And yet God does provide for us. So, He's going to provide us truth through his spirit. If we're humble and reverent, we will learn it. So with that, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you uh, explain to us so clearly what our mental attitude must be and then before you told us that, you modeled it through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's him that we imitate and him that we exemplify, or he exemplifies the life and we reach ahead for it. We know we have to pursue the upward call, Father, with all our energy, with all our our mind, heart, and strength. We have to pursue it if we're going to find it. And, uh, Father, you've given us all the ability to do it. It's our faith that we need and our fears and doubts that are getting in the way. That is true for every believer. And so we ask, Father, that through your Spirit we would learn more, that we would have the courage to pursue. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. So we hoard because we imagine that someday we're going to need money for that thing, whatever that thing is. We trust God for our eternity. We trust God for our lives. We trust God for our everything and for many things so why do we find it a struggle for him to take care of our needs if we're going to be very gracious people i think also that we trust god for our needs in some cases but we just have that just in case mentality that we hold on to and so we tell god uh, and this again it's not about amount god doesn't want us all living on the streets it's about uh, having a gracious attitude and not fearing giving of not just our money, but our time and our spiritual gift and our energy to others. Uh, this is the key to continual happiness because it's how God is. Right? We saw it last night as we closed. Jesus said, you know, the, I'm, I'm the one here washing your feet. You know, who's, it was either last night or, the, or yesterday or the day before. But, uh, you know, I, Jesus turned the world upside down as the disciples were arguing about who's the greatest. We'll see another example of that today. And it's a hindrance. We're going to see also that it's Satan who is behind it all. Like, it's Satan somehow, I don't know how he does it, but he motivates us to be hoarding, fearful, uh, trying to play it safe and secure rather than really risking our entire lives on the plan of God. 
we will see that this is all about attitude. It's not about amounts of things. God doesn't give us amounts. He doesn't tell us how much to give. He just says, give graciously. He doesn't tell us how much to serve. He just says, serve. How much time, Lord? You know, give me a, how about a daily schedule? Here's how much I serve. I get some free time. I get some alone time. I get some work time. You know, he doesn't do that. He leaves it to us to figure it out. And that's why it depends upon attitude. If you've got the right attitude, you will figure it out. So this is about thankfulness. We are to be thankful for everything. So we're challenged by this. Each of us, are we thankful for everything? Paul has given us exhortations here at the end of his letter that he's already given us before. But they're grouped together. They're, they're uh, much more tightly put together as you see here, and we'll see more as we continue. So look at 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Three commands. Uh, again, the adverb comes first. It's always rejoice without ceasing pray, and in everything give thanks. Paul is emphasizing the frequency, uh, even above the command, because everybody is rejoicing at some times, and everybody prays sometimes, even the unbeliever. Everybody gives thanks sometimes, but this is emphasized is all times. And therefore, it gets to the source of who we are at the core of us. In other words, I'm not happy every once in a while. I am at my core, a happy person. And so, where is my happiness? Now, we already saw this. Well, I forget when. (laughs) I can't keep track of the days. But just a few days ago, when we studied the happiness part, when we opened with that, what was the source of our happiness? Again and again and again through the Scripture, it was God, God, God. All right, Him and Him alone. What will we see now with thankfulness? Prayer is obvious because prayer is always to the Father. Uh, And we're going to return to it. We haven't left prayer. Uh, Actually, we'll never leave prayer. We'll always return to it. But when it comes to giving thanks, it's the same thing. We're going to see it again, that it's God, it's God, it's God, it's God. He's the source. And therefore, if he's the source, then everything else doesn't matter when it comes to that ability to be thankful. Now, we're going to turn to a lot of passages today or tonight. So go to Hebrews 13. I don't know why I'm warning you in case like, you want to warm up your fingers, do some finger exercises. Uh, yeah, Hebrews 13, 15. We find here in our first passage that rejoicing and being thankful is a form of worship. Uh, The the picture of the woman I have on the board, you probably recognize it, is the woman from Luke 7 who uh, barges in, kind of does, she kind of barges in uninvited at the Pharisee's house where Jesus is eating and um, she weeps on his feet and washes them with her tears and dries them with her hair. and, uh, and, And so in this passage, Jesus says what to her? He says, your sins, which are many, are forgiven. And she's incredibly thankful. This woman is thankful for the forgiveness of God. It's a form of worship. She worships him here when she washes his feet. In Hebrews 13:15, the writer says, Through him then, through Christ then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. There is giving, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So we have the doing of good works, giving to others. Sharing here would not just mean finances, but it would it would include that. But it would also mean time and efforts and works and everything that we do for one another. And uh, giving thanks to his name, the fruit of the lips. That means it's not just some casual, yeah, I'm kind of thankful. No, in prayer, you're actually thankful. You're using the words, whether it's in your mind or literally with your words, being thankful. And notice that that is praise to God and a sacrifice of God. And all of us in this age are believer priests. We're all priests. And here are our sacrifices, no longer animals. Our sacrifices are thanksgiving to his name, doing good, sharing with one another. 
When it comes to his name, it's his personal attributes. And over the years where you learn about God's attributes, giving thanks to his name means you give thanks to his person. It's who he is. It's what he does. That's what his name means. And over time, what his name really, who he is, is going to knock you over. He's going to be too much practically to comprehend. That is uh, important to know that if you're not being kind of knocked over, overwhelmed by the person of God, there's something wrong with your learning and you should evaluate that. And again, I mean that over time. I don't mean that you're going to be like so emotional all the time. But there has to be, as you progress, there should be more and more of an understanding of the magnitude of God, the magnificence of God, the purity of God. Things like uh, we can't comprehend the absolute purity and things like that. And so the whole point of learning about God, therefore, is to live closer to him. This gets to the key of happiness because happiness and thankfulness come from him. We, uh, you can't get any closer than you are in position, meaning that you're in Christ and he's in you. You can't get closer in that way. What we mean is in experience. David writes in Psalm 30 after he was in this psalm, he's convinced, David is, that His prosperity is always going to remain. He says this in the psalm. He says, you know, what I have, I'll always have. And then God takes it away. And he realizes as he's writing this poem that God took it away so that David would find strength in God. And notice how this is the last line of the psalm. In Psalm 30, verse 12, he says that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Thanks for what? For taking my stuff. (laughs) Why? Because David realized it made me stronger. It made me what? Closer to you, God. And what do you want? The stuff or closer to God? And this is what God is teaching us all. All of us. It takes time. It takes time. There's... You know, you can imagine, I used to have, a, I had a great analogy I used to use that like where you're going through the security line at the airport and you've got like uh, my my dear girl Bree, that time where we went down, you know the story where she's got all her hair care products in her carry-on bag and they're like, uh, miss, do you have any liquids or aerosols in your bag? And she's like, she turns to me and whispers, we're in the security line together. Where were we going? We we're going down to do my wedding. Yeah. I was like, why do I remember this trip? I was getting married. And she turns to me and she says, should I tell him? And I'm like, yeah, you're going to go to prison. Oh, and she got taken out of the line. It was a big, huge thing. See, God's security line, if you're going to make it through that door, he's going to say, that's got to go, and that's got to go, and that's got to go. And then I see what you're hiding in your pocket there. That's got to go. It's got to go. He's going to pat you down like only God can. Very invasive, yes. Uh, So the Hebrew word here for praise is yada. Now you know a little Hebrew. Go impress your friends with it. Yada. Yada means praise and thanksgiving. It actually means both words. And that's, you know, when, when the original languages do that, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's telling us praise and thanksgiving are the same. Uh, when it comes to thanksgiving, as uh, Mr. Thomas Erskine says here, great quote, he says, In the New Testament, religion is grace and ethics is gratitude. By ethics, he means our good works, our righteousness, our conduct, our walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Why do we do that? Why would we want to do that? Because we're so grateful for what God has done for us. It's not that we're paying him back either. That's not what gratitude is. Gratitude is appreciation. You know, I'm a new creature in Christ. I can't imagine. I could I never did imagine what God made me to be. And as we grow and learn, right? He's knocking down this pillar and that pillar and that pillar. He's knocking them down. 
know, I, I, at times I wish he'd knock him down quicker, and then at other times I'm like, please slow down. There's, there's too much happening. You know, we don't want to change so much, but he's going to make us change. And it's the change is always good, although at time, it, in some of these changes they're very painful. Can't get around that. Thorn, like Paul's thorn in the flesh. Can't get around that. So, if thankfulness is, and, and if we're going to have, if we're going to really do the will of God, we've got to be happy people with God. That makes sense to me. If I'm going to follow him, I've got to really want to. Because there's so much opposition to it within myself and around myself. If I'm going to follow him, and, you know, I've got to be happy with him. If I'm, I've got to be grateful to him. If I'm grateful for circumstances, then uh, my gratitude is, is very shallow. And so, how is this going to happen? Uh, so we need the source, and fortunately for us, as of course as it would be, that God provides for us the source of thankfulness. Um, why do we need to know this? Is because we're all, and all of us, that's why we are not to judge one another. Are you going to come across Christians who are ungrateful? Okay, maybe it was just that day. You know? We all have ungrateful days. We all have bad days. You can be the most mature Christian ever, and you're going to have a day where you're an absolute miserable jerk. All right. By the grace of God, we're forgiven. We're to forgive one another. There are a lot of things in this world vying for our affections. A lot. And so we need to be clear on the source. When we lose our thankfulness, we need to know where to go back to. All right. Prodigal son knows the way home. We've got to know the way home. Because we're going to lose it. And you can return to it in a moment. So, the Bible tells us the source of thanksgiving. First is the grace of God. Second, go to Second Corinthians 4.15. Second Corinthians 4.15. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. This is how, um, you know, see that God is glorified again. So this thanksgiving is a worship of God. Again, for all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. The uh, grace of God gives us thanksgiving. All right, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The source, again, of thanksgiving. First, the grace of God, and then giving. How antithetical is this to the world? Talk about an upside-down kingdom. I get thankful for giving, graciously giving. So Jesus says it's better to give than it is to receive. Uh, so 2 Corinthians 9.10 Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing with many thanksgivings to God. The giving to others provides thanksgiving in you. Now we're going to return. We're going to return to the early church. Not return, but we're going to talk about them at the end. And so keep that in mind there. That Paul is saying the ministry of this service is fully supplying the needs of the saints. And that's the early church is being persecuted. The early church, uh, you know, the, the the people who make up the early church are out of the club. Uh, in the in the first century, there in the first few decades of the church, if you uh, people would not allow they you they wouldn't trade with you, sell to you, you you were an you were an outsider to them, and so even if you weren't particularly persecuted by the Roman government in a, in the area that you were in, you were you were poor generally. So 
the supply of others. Not hoarding, supplying. Next, go to 1 Thessalonians 3. So the source of thanksgiving, we have the grace of God being a gracious giver. And then the, the success of others. Thanks is the result, the result of the success of other believers. 1 Thessalonians 3.9, our book. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with, with which we rejoice before our God in your account? So Paul is using both words here, just like he is in chapter 5. We have thanksgiving and joy, both of which are coming from the success of the Thessalonian believers. Verse 10, as we night and day keep praying, that's the third part of our passage, pray without ceasing. He prays night and day most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith, meaning teach you more. So thanks is the result of uh, other believers. Like So, you know, this attitude of Paul is, man, they're really getting it. They're growing. It's not about him. It's about them. And same as with giving. Giving is about others. And we continue. Success of other believers. Go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 4. Next we have God's providence. Thankful for food. Especially delicious food. So good. First, that's, uh, First Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 3. We're abstaining from foods which God created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. In verse 4, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. That's our word, thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. And it's from this verse that the church prays for its food. Um, the Jews did too in the Old Testament they always prayed for their food um, and thanked God for it and here we are and every time we partake we are grateful and why is that? because God's providence God provides for us and we're so grateful for it but what do we in our, you know we can make a quick turn over to our society with all these little brats running around who want to get paid for everything and do no work and have everything handed to them and it is in our world uh, you wonder when it's coming, you know. And remember, judgment comes like a hammer; it's always real quick. While they're saying peace, peace, then there's no peace. Now, and if the, financially the, the economy of this nation goes downward, and it can go downward very quickly, um, and then you know people don't have stuff. And that might be, you know, sometimes it's the only way to get, that God gets people's attention. And, uh, and guess who gets to suffer through it, even though we know God and love God and we, all that, and we do, right? We, we're <laughs> all the hardworking people who worship God and are sustaining the nation, they have to go through the same suffering as the rest. And they will rejoice in it because their, rejoi- their happiness comes from God and not from what they have. And if that happens here, then you, while you maintain your happiness and your thankfulness, even though you're going as broke as everybody else, you are a light to the world. All right, Ephesians 5. Go to Ephesians 5.15. So what do we have so far? The source of thanksgiving is the grace of God, being gracious. Am I giving? These are sources that your mind can go to, but you'll you'll see at the end it's all the same source. The success of other believers, am I grateful for what I have? Uh, Do I want more? You know, I say, I'd be so much happier if I had more. Don't you have enough? If you're alive and breathing, yeah, you do. So, I wish I, you know, and and that's what God's getting at us. And And getting back to prayer, which... This is a future thing coming, but you know, God says pray without ceasing, and here he has us praying in the Lord's Prayer. He has us praying for our daily food. Isn't he going to provide it anyway? Why are we asking for that? Because when we pray, like remember uh, uh, Bartimaeus, we were looking at that guy. He said, Jesus said to the, he could tell he's blind as a bat. What do you want me to do for you? Tell me. 
ask me. Ask me specifically, what do you want? All right, here we go. Next one is a wise and spirit-filled life. Ephesians 5.15, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the first part is be wise because the day is surrounded by evil. There's evil all around you, so you have to be wise. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Remember this word, dissipation. Asetia in the Greek refers to prodigal or wastefulness. Don't waste what God has given you. So don't get drunk with wine, for that is waste. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks. Notice, for all things, for all things. And I I want to make a point here, I think I have time to, that we saw yesterday that we're to be thankful. As Paul's command says, in everything be thankful. So like if your little kid gets cancer, you're not thankful for cancer. Right? And that, that's the interpretation there, that I'm thankful to God for who He is and everything He's doing, and no, I'm not thankful that my little darling child is dying. You know, people get weird with this. But here, he does use a preposition, Paul says, that we're thankful for everything. But notice the caveat here. We're thankful for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And we're not thankful for the sin or the thing that is causing us incredible misery. But we're thankful to God that, you know, there's things we can't understand. That's what I I thought of today. Like, what would be the worst thing that would happen to me? And and that would be it. You know, if someone, I'm not even going to say it. (laughs) I'm still superstitious. I'm not going to say it. (laughs) That's superstition. I'm not saying it. But, you know, I, that, that would be it. That would be it. And I, I've, I've prayed about that to God, and I said, I can't handle that. There's no way. There's no way in hell I can handle that. But, you know, what? I, I watched my first wife die right in my arms. I didn't like that. Was I thankful for AIDS that took her life? No. But she's in heaven. And the progress of my life and other people's lives afterwards. God has it all under control. I don't understand it all. No, nobody does. But yet, we can be grateful in the situation, though we're not grateful for the evil that makes it happen. All right. So, and this last one, so we've got them all together here now. There's, there's a few more, but I did this to prove a point. What is the source of all of this? Right, easy answer the Lord. Who's the source of grace? Who's the source of being gracious? The the very idea that we should do good to our neighbor is a Christian principle. It's a Christian principle that the whole world in the West lives by. Not just the West, but also the East. And it's a Christian principle. So, uh, being gracious... uh, Enjoying the success of others. Again, this is how God this is God's mind. For God's providence, obviously that comes from God. And and wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? Where does the spirit come from? The spirit that should be a capital S, sorry. Uh, the the spirit filled life is from God. So therefore the source of all thanks is God Himself. Is it riches? Is it health? Is it anything else. It's not. Because as we know, health can go quickly. Riches can go quickly. They can also increase. But the richest, healthiest people in the world, are they, are they rejoicing always? If, only if they have a relationship with God could they possibly do that. So if you go to Philippians, just head forward to one book Go to Philippians 1.3. Paul says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, 
always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. We see our, our Holy Trinity is here yet again. I thank my God in my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy. So we have joy, prayer, and thankfulness. Look at verse 25. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress, for your progress and joy in the faith. Right? What's the source of joy here? It's the faith, what we believe. Therein lies the source. It's from God. And then finally, go to Philippians 3.1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And that gets right to the core, the source of it. Rejoice in the Lord. So it couldn't be simpler. We all have the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. We all have eternal life. We're all going to return with Him when He comes back. The day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night, and we're sons and daughters of the day. The day of the Lord, we're of the day. Nothing to fear there. And we're going to be revealed with Him in glory. Uh, Colossians 3.3. 3. It's all set. All right, so we don't even have to come back to church to be ever reminded of this again. Because we've all got it. Because we've all got the Lord. It couldn't be any easier or simpler. Honestly, it couldn't be. And yet, we trip. We fall. We're not like this. All the time. Some more than others. But all of us do not hit the mark here. There's something tripping us up. Therefore, we must set down in our hearts first and foremost, that the true source of happiness is God alone. And there, therein is the problem. We so are easily distracted and we think, well, if that would change, if you would change, if I got more of that or I had less of that, then I'd be happy. We must know this. We understand that we can't, if we understand what the source of thankfulness and happiness is, then we can get to work when our thinking is wrong. We can work on it. And no one's going to work on it but you, by the way. So it depends on whether you want this or not, which everybody wants it, but, you know, what are we willing to do? And it takes prayer, it takes study, it takes self examination, it takes change. But. There's only one way to change. The Lord has got to change you. And I know and people say, well, all right, I've been sitting around waiting for the Lord to change me for a long time. And I understand. Um, I don't know why it takes so long. Be patient. It may take a while. Um my only advice, because I don't, I don't know the solutions to that in other people's lives. I, I only know in my own what I experience. I mean, I know what the Word of God says, but not everybody changes at the, in the same ways. I just I know in people who change that the Lord has made it absolutely clear to them so much that they want to. I've, ne- I've never met a person who changed and they didn't want to change. Even people who hit like rock bottom and they change, they want to change. The prodigal son wanted to come home because of the pain. The pain helped. The pain always helps. I don't think any of us do it without it. In fact, I know we don't. Hebrews 12 says there isn't one son that the Lord has that he hasn't whipped the heck out of. So be grateful, he says. Say, thanks, Lord. Thanks. Give me another. Thank you, sir. Give me another. All right. Uh, let's see. Um, Colossians 3. You're in the vicinity, aren't you? Yeah. Pete. One more book. Go to Colossians 3, 2. My final Greek paper was on this passage. Tell you what, I know the Greek in this passage, like I'll never forget it. So if you ever, if I ever like wow you with my Greek knowledge of Colossians three one through four, be like Joe, get over it. It's the only passage you know out of the whole Bible. Colossians three two. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, 
It's a theme in the book of Colossians. Christ didn't come back to rehab you. He didn't do it. That's why in Christianity, uh, if there is cure for addiction, I'll tell you more about that on, on Sunday. We are, our final video for our, our video project is on addiction, and it's posted on YouTube. It's, I'd say it's not the best work that, we, uh, that I could have done. Chris has done an amazing job on it, but uh, anyway, I will get to that. But addiction. It's related here, right? We can be addicted to anything. We could be addicted to, to food, to things, to money, to drugs and alcohol. We could be addicted to sex. We could be addicted to a whole ton of things. Because we think that those things are going to fulfill us the way that they promised to. And this is what God is setting us free from. And when I say set us free, I do mean that, that God cures addiction. We don't remain addicts our whole lives. He cures it. And in him, notice, we died. Christ didn't come to rehab you. He came to kill you. And he did. It's all over the book of Colossians. Not just here, but it's a theme. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So, set your mind. This word, set your mind, the Greek word phreneo, it means to truly focus on and be inspired by and uh, to have an affection towards. So you seek these things above, and when you find them, which is finding your life in Christ, you set your mind on them. It means that you truly love them and that they absorb you. Because if the truth of Christianity is just like for a lot of people it is, it's a something that's in church on a Sunday, and then that's where, that's where it stays when they leave, they will experience none of this. That's what they're giving up. That's, that's the, that's the uh, dissipation, the waste. Say, God promises me happiness all the time. You know what? I'm just going to leave that at church. And that's where it will stay, if you are happy at church, which you're probably not anyway. All right. Go to Matthew 6, Matthew 6, 19. Remember, you've died, your life is hid with Christ and God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Sermon on the Mount, right? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Christ says here, what you treasure is your heart. That's you. If you treasure me, I'm in your heart, meaning Christ. If you treasure anything on earth, it doesn't have to be money, it can be anything. That's your treasure, that's your heart. So uh, the problem becomes, let's see where I'm at. Uh, let's see, I'm just going to quote these, and then we'll go to, since you're in Matthew, go to Matthew 10. And we could just summarize the other passages for the sake of time. In 1 John chapter 2, John describes the world and he says, what is the world? He says, it's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. Did he put that in that order? All is it? No, he says flesh first. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. So it's what I see is what I want, what I feel my flesh wants, I want, and my pride is that I want everybody to adore me and like me, and I want to be right all the time. I want to be the boss. I always want to be right. So, the lust of the eyes, the flesh, and the pride. Then James talks about this lust in James 4. James 4, he says that you, you ask and you don't have because you lust 
and because you want things to spend them on your own pleasure. And this gets to the core of this and what people have kind of messed up here. And meaning Christians, does God want us to have no pleasure whatsoever? And that is not true. It's the source of the pleasure. That's what he's after. Uh, James says something amazing there. That this pleasure that you want is waging a war in your own body. Can you imagine that these pleasures that people are after inside themselves are waging war against themselves. Hence, people are miserable as they seek pleasure in the wrong places. We lust and do not have because we only want things from the earth. Now, here's the thing. Are the things of the earth therefore all evil? That's a Gnostic concept that is absolutely false. Does God want to give us no earthly pleasures? No. No, he wants to give us plenty. But when we seek to be fulfilled, to be satisfied by the earthly things, then they become our idols and our gods. And that's what God is bleeding out from us, removing from us. In other words, there's going to be plenty of earthly pleasures with people, with things, and in fact, it's going to be better than you ever imagined. And I mean the material stuff. Not that more. See, when people think, oh, when you say, Pastor, better material stuff, you mean more. I do not. I do not. The amount doesn't matter a lick. What matters is how you see it. Do you ever be like in a in a an envir- a natural environment, say outside? Uh, like last week was like one of the first really warm spring days, and we were all we uh, met up with the the girls at the park. Uh, left here, met up with them at the park, and it was this. It was bizarre because, you know, we've spent so much time inside. It's been raining, 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 raining. Plus, I spent all my time here. And being outside in the park in the sun, it was almost like, for me, like I was dizzy. It was almost like, oh, man, it's like too much sun, too much fresh air. And it made, you know, and it dawned on me. I was like, I was like Joe, you got to get outside more. You know, just sitting on your butt in your office. you got to get out. But anyway, once my body acclimated, like, Beautiful. Beautiful. I mean, everything in Oregon right now is just spectacularly green. And we pay the price for it, right? Because you know, everything's well watered here. But, you know, once, the, once God turns off the spigot, um, everything is beautiful. Uh, have you ever been in a place like an environment where it's just the color of the grass or maybe a sound of birds or, you know, I'm not, I'm, per, I'm kind of a nature nut, but, you know, that, has it overwhelmed you, like the beauty of it? Not because you wanted it to, but because it did. And at that moment, you're not thinking about consuming it, because, but that is what happens with, the fallen human race, fallen people in a fallen world. What are we looking at when it comes to the world? How much of it can we get? That's what we're looking at. See that, see that beautiful land and say, well, I want it. I want to own it. Jesus didn't own a thing. Isn't that awesome? The Son of Man didn't own a square inch of ground anywhere. God, when he becomes our true and only value, when he becomes our true and only joy, when he becomes our true and only source of gratitude, then everything around us, including the people, will become brighter, more colorful, if you will, more exciting, more vibrant, more enjoyable. And it's uh, upside down in the world, right? I'm going to get them. I'm going to get her. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get that. I'm going to spend it on the pleasure of my flesh. And God has designed our bodies that the more we use of the thing that gives us pleasure, the more we need 
And that's why we get tolerances. He designed us this way. And we get to the point where we get uh, a, a, a tolerance where we don't even get off on it anymore. But if we don't get it, we're miserable. And in the drug world, it's called being dope sick. Dope sick is an awful, awful thing. You need the drug just to survive. I saw an interview with someone in, where were I forget what city, I think it was San Francisco. It's all over the news, San Francisco has fallen apart because what, Nordstrom's moved out or something. And uh, it was, they interviewed this lady who was addicted to fentanyl. And she was in tears. She lives on the street. And if she doesn't get fentanyl, it doesn't make her like really all that high anymore. But if she doesn't get it, she gets anxious and she gets dope sick pretty much. She gets sick to the core of herself and she needs it just to survive. God has designed us this way. We don't run on anything else besides him. If we're going to have the joy that he promises, and look, and in the world, we will enjoy it. God doesn't say, I'm taking away all pleasure. In the Garden of Eden, now, first time we said the lust of the world is, the, the, lust, the, the world is, first John, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. In the Garden of Eden, back in Genesis 2, it says, the Lord God caused every tree that is pleased to, sorry, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food and the tree of life. You see, God provides these things, good for the eyes, good for food. And if he is your source of pleasure, then everything else becomes more pleasurable. If he's the source of your gratitude, everything else becomes brighter and more enjoyable, even if you don't own it. Heck, you don't care if you own it or not. The world is truly your oyster. Because God is your one and only. This is what he's doing for us. This is the most marvelous benefit of life. Now, you're in Mar Oh, I wanted to go to Mark, not Matthew. Let's see, Matthew, Mark, right? So it's the next book. Everybody knows the gospel order. Mark 10, look at verse 28. Oh, you got to love this. <clears throat> Peter began to say to him, Mark 10, 28, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Oh, bravo, Peter. What did you leave? A couple of fishing boats and some nets. To gain what? Oh, I don't know. Eternal life. To be a preeminent apostle. <laughs> to have books in the Bible that you've actually written. He doesn't know any of that yet, though. So, behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Peter, you're so stupid. No, he doesn't say that. This is how gracious he is, right? He's the same to us. So gracious, so patient. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in this present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, love how he throws that in, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And he will drive that point home right up to the last supper where he washes their feet. This is an upside-down kingdom compared to the kingdoms of the earth. It's completely upside-down. So, do we get a hundred houses? I don't have a hundred houses. Some, some have said, well, the interpretation is you know a hundred people who own houses and you can go there. And, uh, you know, that, that has some weight to it. I, I don't mind that interpretation. I don't know if that's what he means here, but it's certainly true. Um, that there's plenty of people. Yeah, think of all the people online, and they're, they're all over the country. Again, Zoom meeting tomorrow at 4 if you wanted to join. We're, we're, the Zoom group is really melded. You know, it, it's really a fun conversation. We don't plan anything. We just talk, and it always, it's always wonderful. But, um, and please, if you want, join us. But 4 o'clock. 
If you went, if you said, hey, I'm from Grace Bible, Ch- Grace Bible Church. I, I just said that. That was my old church. I'm from Grace and Truth Ministries. And you went to their house. They'd probably let you in. I don't know. I don't know them all. I, I don't know why I'm even saying that. I, all right, we're going to hand out a list of addresses, and we're all going to hit the road. We're going to get on the, the Bible bus and drive to everybody's house and see if they let us in. What a cool road trip that would be. Uh, but are you going to get more house? What is Jesus saying here? But he says on earth. that All you can really get from this, if you just interpret it simply, is that what you've given up on earth to serve me, you're going to get more. And when we say a hundredfold, we think what? hundred houses. Right? <laughs> and here we are, idiots, as Christians, thinking about amounts. Like, how much money is that, Jesus? What kind of houses? You know, like playing Monopoly. i got four houses on Park Place. You land on there, you're broke, you know? Like this is we want to be a, think about amounts about accumulation. No, it can't be that. It's not that at all. It's the value of life. That's what it is. The value of life. Value of life. Now it's gonna. We don't have time. I'm out of time. But in Acts chapter two and Acts chapter four, we're gonna end up there. The early church, it says they were in awe of God. We say, well, yeah, early church. Why is it any different now? (laughs) Has God changed? He was like more awesome then, but now he's just kind of a little older and staler. No, actually, the church is older and staler. We are. The early church, under persecution, they shared over these passages are marvelous. They had joy with one another. They gave to one another, and they the people who owned property were like, you know, the church isn't going to survive unless we have the money to supply for the poor people here. Because why did they get so poor so fast? Because they were outcasts, especially in the early in Jerusalem area. These are Jews, and Jews that are saying, no, we're no longer under Moses, but we think Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. The other Jews hate them, and they won't deal with them. You go to the shop to buy whatever, olive oil, and they won't sell it to you. You used to have a job, but now they don't want you there anymore. These people lost a lot to follow Christ. So they took all their money and they pulled it together and they used it as a community. Why? Because they didn't value amounts. They valued the Lord. And because they valued the Lord, they valued each other. What we are allowing here God to do is to remove from us our desire. Sorry, sorry, I got that wrong. What we are allowing God to do is not to remove our desire, but to change the source. And when the source is the right source, it is fulfilled a hundredfold more. I think you're getting, people think they're getting pleasure by the things of the earth, and the things of the earth give a certain amount of pleasure, or else people wouldn't pursue it. But if you pursue God, and you find out that God is your only source of true pleasure, then every earthly pleasure is magnified a hundredfold. And you never, and if God said, all right, it's time to take that away, great, I don't care, I got you. Though I may suffer, and I don't want to suffer, but Lord, I have you. I always have you. He is removing from us the desire in our hearts to get satisfaction and fulfillment from earthly things. So we have to ask ourselves and evaluate ourselves and see. And once we do that, we ask ourselves, well, why am I holding back? Answer that question first. Pray to God about it. Why am I holding back? Ask Him to show you the obstacles. And it may take a while for you to figure them out. But as remember in prayer, the lady said, persist, keep asking, keep asking. Bartimaeus keep, kept asking, kept asking. Keep at it, keep asking. It's a way of God revealing to you how much you want it. Again, all of us need to change at some level. But none of us change unless we want it. God's not going to force us to. He's showing us the way 
to be like Him. Let's pray. Thanks, Father, for Your Word. Thank You so much for the truth of things that are all over Your Word. We went to multiple books today, and in each passage we saw it taught us the same thing about this graciousness that You call us to, by which we find gratitude and thankfulness and happiness with You. None of it, no source of it is here on earth. Though we can enjoy the things of the earth and enjoy one another, but those are not the source. You are. So, Father, we ask that through Your Spirit, the things that we've read in Your Word tonight would become clear to us and that we would understand. And we ask in Christ's name, Amen.